Hello, everybody, and welcome to Charts with Dan. We have, as always, so much to talk about. The big debut of Halloween ends, but should it have been bigger? We're going to talk about that, as well as the latest at the box office, the streaming charts. You know what we do on this show by now. Before we get started, though, I want to thank, as always, my partners here on Charts with Dan, Carbon Health. I love working with Carbon Health because I love their mission, which is to help provide healthcare to as many people as possible, as affordably as possible. If you go out right now, you can get the Carbon Health app. You can see if there's a physical location near you. And even if there isn't, you can use the Carbon Health app for virtual appointments. If there is a physical location near you, there are always walk-in appointments that are held open every day because Carbon Health understands that you can't always schedule your medical care. And if you live in California, you can even make Carbon Health your primary care provider. Carbon Health provides so many different services, including immunizations. So you can check all of that out right now on the app. And I want to thank Carbon Health, as always, for being my partner here on the show. Let's talk about the box office this previous weekend. We knew that Halloween Ends was going to be number one. The question was, how big was it going to open? Some people are saying 55 million. Some people are saying 50 million. Well, it ended up coming in a little bit below that. Let's look at the box office top five. Halloween Ends ended up coming in at just over $40 million. $40 million. $50,355. We'll break that down in just a moment. Smile in its third week continues to have just an incredible hold for a horror film. A 32.2% drop in its third week for a $12.5 million total. Its domestic total is now over $70 million. Lyle Lyle Crocodile didn't have a huge opening last week, but it did have what we call that family movie hold. 35.5% drop in its second week, so perhaps a little encouraging that that film may have some legs at the box office. $7.3 million total. The Woman King stays at number four. A 28.5% drop and a $3.7 million total. Amsterdam did not have the kind of hold that you want to see for an adult skewing film. A 57.1% drop. That's more like a tentpole movie that's open to 80 or $90 million, which Amsterdam certainly did not do. That was good enough for a $2.7 million total clinging on to that fifth spot. So let's talk about Halloween Ends. It came in just over $40 million, and there were takes all over the place in the last few days. People saying, hey, it opened it over $40 million for a horror movie, and in this marketplace, that's great. And there were some people saying, hey, it only opened at $40 million. Peacock cannibalized the whole movie. That's terrible. As always, the truth kind of lies somewhere in between. The main question, I guess, is did its day and date debut on Peacock eat into that box office opening? Well, I think the answer has to definitely be yes. Peacock said that Halloween Ends was the best first two days of any movie or show on the service. Of course, not providing numbers, just saying that it was the best first two days ever. So, you know, take that for what it's worth, which is pretty much nothing. But even by streaming standards, it's really just common sense to estimate that there were some people that did not spend their money going to the theater and instead decided to watch Halloween Ends at home. And then, of course, there's the problematic issue of pirating, which is much, much easier when there's a wonderful, crisp and clear, high-definition copy of the movie that's available online pretty much immediately after it comes out. So I'm sure that did take a chunk of it, but I don't think you can just look at that four $40 million opening and say, well, it was only Peacock. First of all, these are always estimates. You never really know what a movie's going to do, so it's kind of being based off of estimates that I've always wondered what exactly they're based on. It's good to have expectations, but I don't think you should stake everything to those expectations. I don't think that $40 million is a disastrous opening by any measure, but I also think that, yes, it could have been higher, and I don't think that Peacock's the only reason why it may have lost some money, because the word of mouth on Halloween Ends was also not very good. The reviews were not very 
very good. The ratings online through the various different sites have not been good. And even when you look at cinema score, we talk about cinema score here on the show a lot. It's a good measure of how a movie met an audience's expectations. Cinema score has data for six movies across the Halloween franchise, and Halloween Ends scored the lowest of all six. It scored a C plus. The lowest rated movies before had scored a B minus. So I really do think that that probably did keep people away from the theater. When you look at the weekend for both Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends, they're only a year apart. Halloween Kills also had the day and date Peacock release. Their opening days weren't that much different. Halloween Kills, I think, had about a $2 million higher opening Friday. But the drop-off between Friday and Saturday was a different story. Halloween Ends dropped 36%. From Friday to Saturday. Halloween Kills dropped 24% from Friday to Saturday, and I don't think you can just say that Peacock is the reason for all of that. I think the reason that we had a lower take is because the word got out that this movie wasn't very good, at least according to a lot of people, including myself, which means that there were people that A, decided not to go see it at all, or B, perhaps did decide to stay in and not go to the theater and watch it on streaming instead. Still, though, it's not a complete disaster, although a lot of people are pointing to the budget and saying like, well, it only had a 30 million dollar budget so 40 million dollars is great one thing to keep in mind however is that to do this peacock day and date streaming reportedly Universal and the other producers for the film bought out the back-end deals for the different stars. So, you know, a lot of times people, especially somebody like Jamie Lee Curtis, will take less money up front, which is what you see reflected in the budget, and say, well, I'll take a percentage of the gross if it grosses over this amount of money, or you get a bonus if the movie makes over $80 million or $100 million or whatever. I think because they learned from the dissatisfaction of so many people when their movies went to streaming starting a couple of years ago, those back-end deals were purchased by the studio. So all of the profit participants in this movie, probably David Gordon Green and Jamie Lee Curtis and other people in the cast and in the crew, they have been paid as if the movie were a large hit, which means that that $30 million budget is probably much, much higher because a lot more money is coming out of the studio coffers in order to keep their talent happy and allow them to put this movie on streaming without a whole lot of fuss. So did streaming cost Halloween ends at the box office? Yes, I think it did. I don't think it's the only reason that it came in under what some people's expectations were for this weekend. And I think that the most telling thing will be next weekend. We talk about the horror movie drop all the time, especially movies that don't get good reviews and maybe don't have good word of mouth. If we see this movie drop 60 or 70 or more percent next week, that also changes the tone and tenor about the budget, etc., and how we talk about this film. I'm going to be very interested to see what Halloween Ends does in week two and how big the drop is going to be. But regardless of what happens next week, because this is a big franchise, you know I always like to throw up some charts about how it's done historically against other films in the franchise. First of all, let's look at the top franchise openings for Halloween. 2018's Halloween still stands head and shoulders above everybody else with a $76.2 million opening about four years ago. Halloween Kills is at number two. So we had about a $9.4 million drop-off from Halloween Kills to Halloween Ends. Even keeping in mind that Halloween Kills had a much more competitive theatrical marketplace a year ago. It was the second week of No Time to Die. Venom Let There Be Carnage was still around. The Last Duel was opening. So that's another indicator that it's not just streaming. It's the overall marketplace that perhaps is saying they don't want any more Halloween movies. Halloween Ends is at number three with just over $40 million, followed by Rob Zombie's Halloween in 2007 at $26.2 million, and then Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 in 2009 at $16.3 million. So it's really not so shocking, especially for a 
franchise that's been around as long as Halloween, that the five highest opening films are the five most recent films. So you know what we love to do here. Adjust for inflation. And these are the numbers adjusted for inflation. Now, I did this not according like I've done before to sites like the numbers in Box Office Mojo. I actually just put in the figures into the U.S. Labor Department Consumer Price Index. So there are some figures for movies that look like they're very high. This is according to the U.S. government what the inflation-adjusted figures are. At number one is 2018's Halloween with an adjusted for inflation $90 million opening, followed by Halloween Kills with a $54.1 million opening. Halloween Ends stays at number three. Rob Zombie's Halloween stays at number four with an adjusted opening of $37.5 million, so a lot closer to Halloween Ends when you adjust those numbers. And then at number five is Halloween H20 20 years later with an adjusted opening of $29.4 million. That was the first time that the franchise brought back Jamie Lee Curtis and wiped out all of the stuff that had happened since the sequels. That's really been an effective box office tool for the Halloween franchise. I just don't think that they have it in them to do it again. I don't know. Who knows? Jamie Lee Curtis would, would not shock me if she's still around in 20 years. Speaking of Jamie Lee Curtis, let's look at her top openings domestically, and these are already adjusted for inflation. Number one is 2018's Halloween. Halloween Kills is at number two, and right behind when you adjust those openings is True Lies with a $51.8 million opening opening back in 1994. At number four, believe it or not, is Beverly Hills Chihuahua, which when you adjust for inflation, opens slightly above Halloween ends. Beverly Hills Chihuahua opened to an adjusted number of $40,392,000. Halloween ends open to an adjusted number of $40 million. Never underestimate the power of talking chihuahuas. And then when you look at Jamie Lee Curtis all time, her all-time grocers adjusted for inflation. Again, when I said I wouldn't be surprised to see Jamie Lee Curtis around in 20 years, this is why. Look at the breadth of this career. Number one is True Lies. Its domestic total adjusted final total is $292.6 million. Right behind it, though, is Trading Places, co-starring Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy with a $269.3 million total. Then we have the original 1978 Halloween with $215.2 million. Knives Out is at number four with $191.9 million. And then 2018's Halloween at number five with $188.3 million. But look at those movies. True Lies, 90s. Trading Places, 80s. Halloween, 70s. Knives Out in the 2018 Halloween, both in the 2010s. And I will tell you that just out of the top five was Freaky Friday, which was in the 2000s. So we have five different decades and really now going into the six with Halloween ends that Jamie Lee Curtis has been racking up box office hits. Some inside the Halloween franchise, some outside of the Halloween franchise. But she has had, I think, one of the most interesting careers and long-lived careers. And I think, honestly, one of the careers where she just does whatever the hell she wants and she doesn't seem to really care if the audience shows up or not, but she also tends to be drawn to some pretty cool projects. And of course, we have a lot more, hopefully, in the future. So that's all the talk about Halloween and Jamie Lee Curtis. Let's look at the rest of the top six. Dropping out of the top five is Don't Worry Darling in its fourth week. It takes a 36% drop to $2.2 million. Barbarian stays at number seven in its sixth week with a 37.4% drop and a $1.3 million total. This is a really interesting story. Playing in limited release and even losing theaters from last week is the film Terrifier 2, which nonetheless posted a 28% gain from its first week. Its total for the weekend is just over $1 million, so it did more business in week two than in week one. So it seems like despite not playing nationwide or even in wide release, the word of mouth is going around about Terrifier 2. 
Dropping to number nine is Bros with a 56.7% drop in its third week, already under a million dollars for the weekend, $933,945. So a disappointing opening turning into an extremely disappointing box office run for Bros. And then, of course, I mean, we should just cement this at this point. Maybe it's the last week. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Top Gun Maverick in its 21st week. Still in the top 10, a 14.6% drop from last week and a $687,000 total. Will it drop out of the top 10 next week? I don't know, but we're going to definitely mark the occasion when and if it does. Dropping out of the top 10 for the past weekend, largely because I believe it was pulled from circulation, was the re-release of Avatar after three weeks. Jake Sully and everyone else have flown back to Pandora We'll see them all in December. Looking at the box office weekend overall, it's kind of good news, bad news. Good news in that the green line, which is the 2022 box office total, is heading up. We had a, a better weekend this weekend than last weekend, but also not so great news because you can see we're still nowhere near the average from the pre-pandemic era of 2015 through 2019, nor are we even really close to where we were this time last year in 2021. So we are still struggling to meet the box box office standard set by any previous year uh, other than 2020 uh, from 2015 to today. We will see if we can uh, bring that total up even more this weekend. We've got weekend two of Halloween ends. We've got Black Adam. We've got Tickets to Paradise. So let's see if we can keep that green line going up. It would be great to see it eclipse that orange one and really even the blue one because we've had a really, really uh, underwhelming back half thus far. Well, you know me, and sometimes I get a little antsy and decide to come up with a new chart, and I've actually decided to start something in a way based on the summer chart. You know, I, I track the summer box office season from basically May through September every single year, and I figured, well, if I'm keeping track of those four months, why don't I keep track of the other three four-month periods of the year? So now I will also be keeping track of the year based on the different seasons. There will be the summer movie season, the fall holiday box office, which is where we are now, and then what I guess I'll be calling the winter spring box office, which will be the first four months of the year. So these are all of the releases post Labor Day, post that first weekend in September. And as you can see, Smile is actually the top grocer for the fall holiday box office season thus far with $71.3 million, followed by The Woman King with $59.7 million. Don't Worry Darling is at $42.4 million, followed by Halloween Ends, which regardless of how it does next weekend, will likely start moving up this chart very quickly. Right now it's at number four. Barbarian is at number five with $38.9 million, followed by Lyle Lyle Crocodile at number six with $22.7 million. Amsterdam at number seven with 11.8 million. Bros just now eclipsing the $10 million domestic total, but still looking to be a major money loser for its studio. It's there at number eight. See How They Run is at number nine with $9.2 million. And just behind See How They Run is Pearl, which was not quite able to tap into the same box office vein as the movie from which it sprang, X, which came out earlier this year. Let's look now at the movies that had the best per theater average. And at number one is Park Chan-wook's new film, Decision to Leave. It opened in just three theaters this past weekend, but did very well in those three theaters. Just over $32,000 per theater. That keeps it just outside the top five when we're talking about the best per theater averages for 2022 so far. 
Playing in 16 theaters is the film Till, which will be getting a wide release in about a week and a half. It brought in $15,000 per theater in each of its 16 theaters. It's actually a very, very powerful movie, and I think that you're going to see it uh, in a lot of the awards conversations, particularly the Best Actress conversation uh, in the weeks to come. Cat Daddies is at number three, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a documentary about uh, a bunch of guys and their cats, which sounds kind of amazingly charming. At number four is Triangle of Sadness, the Palme d'Or winner out of the Cannes Film Festival. It stays in the top five, expanding to 31 theaters with a $10,578 average. And then at number five is Halloween Ends in just over 3,900 theaters with a $10,267 average. Looking at the top five movies in limited release, these are movies playing in 1,000 theaters or fewer. Terrifier 2 in 700 theaters was the number one movie with just over a million dollars. Expanding to 36 theaters is Tar, which had one of the best per theater averages last week. It expanded the 36 theaters and brought in $329,000. Triangle of Sadness is at number two, right behind Tar, in 31 theaters with $327,000. At number four is Till in its 16 theaters with a $242,000 total. And then staying at number five in its fifth week is Moon Age Daydream, the David Bowie documentary, now playing in under 200 theaters, but still good enough for a $111,000 total. Looking at the top 10 movies that played in limited release this year, Brahmastra Part 1, Shiva remains number one, followed by BTS Permission to Dance at number two, KGF Chapter 2 at number three, Marcel the Shell with Shoes on at number four, Orphan First Kill is at number five, Ponyan Selvan Part 1 is at number six with a $4.9 million total, but now at number seven is Moon Age Daydream. It has now eclipsed $4 million at the box office and overtakes Cyrano, which has been up there on the chart since pretty much the beginning of the year. Cyrano with its $3.8 million total slips to number eight. Lal Singh Chada stays at number nine. Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris is at number 10. It's $3.3 million coming from the amount of time it was playing before it moved into wide release briefly. And I will say that just outside of the top 10 is Kevin Smith's Clerks 3. So we'll see if it can come in and make that domestic top 10 for limited release. Before we move on, I'd like to thank the sponsor for today's show, Athletic Greens, the makers of AG1. And you've heard me talking a lot about AG1 on the channel. I started taking it because I'm looking to make myself healthier overall and making several lifestyle changes. And AG1 has been one that's been very easy to incorporate into my daily routine. I can either put a scoop right into a cup of water or mix it into a shake if I'm doing something for breakfast. Either way, it's a quick and tasty way for me to start the day off right and make sure that I'm supporting not only my gut health, which is a big focus for me, but my immune system, my recovery, my focus, and so much more. AG1 is lifestyle friendly and contains less than one gram of sugar with no GMOs or artificial anything. And if you don't take a multivitamin yet and you've been trying to figure out which one to take, AG1 is a great choice. Athletic Greens also cares about the world around them For every purchase, they donate to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry right here in the U.S. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Dan. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash Dan, D-A-N, to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring today's show. 
Let's look now outside the domestic marketplace and look at the movies that did well internationally. So these are all markets outside of the United States and Canada. Halloween Ends was the number one film internationally with $17.1 million, followed by Smile with $16.3 million. Homecoming was at number three in China with $11,885,000, followed by Ticket to Paradise, which has been playing for quite some time outside of the United States with $7.8 million. And then The Woman King with $4.1 million. When you combine the international numbers with the domestic numbers, we get our top five films worldwide. And Halloween Ends is also the number one movie worldwide with a $57.2 million total. Smile is at number two with a $28.8 million total, followed by Homecoming at number three. Lyle Lyle Crocodile with a $10.9 million total at number four, and then Ticket to Paradise at number five with $7.8 million. When we look at the domestic box office for 2022, no change from last week. Top Gun Maverick is still number one. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Jurassic World Dominion, and The Batman are at numbers two through four. All of them have completed their domestic box office runs. Minions The Rise of Gru is at number five. Thor Love and Thunder is at number six. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is at number seven. Elvis is at number eight. Uncharted is at number nine. And then at number 10, with what appears to be a final gross of $123,277,080, is Nope. Its grosses froze when I looked at the box office charts for this weekend, which tells me that it is officially out of the theatrical marketplace and now making its rounds through uh, streaming and everything else. Also no change in the 2022 worldwide box office chart. Top Gun Maverick is at number one with $1.4 billion. Jurassic World Dominion at number two with $1 billion. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness at number three. Minions at number four. The Batman at number five. Thor Love and Thunder at number six with $760.7 million, followed by The Battle at Lake Chung Jin 2. Moon Man is at number eight. Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore is at number nine. And Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is at number 10. I didn't show this chart last week because you actually may see this on the show. If there are charts that don't have updates from week to week, sometimes I'll leave them off because I want to make room to talk about other things. This is the worldwide 365 day chart. So basically, if you take today's date, you roll it back one entire year. These are the top 10 movies over that amount of time. And I'm actually including it this week because there is a change. I start this thing called the 365 Day Hall of Fame. This is for movies that go into worldwide release that are able to stay on this chart for one entire year. And there's a graduate to that Hall of Fame as of now, No Time to Die, was on this chart from October 12th, 2021 to October 12th, 2022. It now becomes the fifth movie since I've been tracking this back in 2020 to stay on this chart for 365 full days. It joins Tenet, Demon Slayer, Mugen Train, Godzilla vs. Kong, and F9. So congratulations to No Time to Die. You made it those 365 days. And let's look at the chart once we remove No Time to Die. The top five remains the same. Spider-Man No Way Home, Top Gun Maverick, Jurassic World Dominion, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and Minions The Rise of Gru. The Batman moves up one spot to number six. Thor Love and Thunder moves up one spot to number seven. The Battle at Lake Changjin 2 moves up one spot to number eight. Moon Man moves up one spot to number nine. And then rejoining the chart is Sing 2 because it is a film that came out within the last 365 days. It has been on the chart. It was knocked off earlier. The counter rolls back to one. So it is now back to day one on the chart. It's not going to make the 365-day Hall of Fame. But the movie that now becomes the most senior film on this list 
is Spider-Man No Way Home. It is 60 days away from rotating off the chart, and it will be doing that. I cannot imagine 10 movies making more than $1.9 billion in the next 60 days, although as a box office analyst, that would be absolutely insane, and I would welcome that event, uh, but it's not going to happen. And I've had some people say like, well, Dan, why do you keep doing this chart? Because it's just going to be the big movies, and that may be so. It, I'm sure that the billion-dollar grocers will probably all make the Hall of Fame, and if we get to a point where it just seems like too many movies are going in, then that's fine. But I'm going to actually wait it out a little bit till we kind of get back up to speed to see, you know, if we get to one of those years where we have six billion dollar grocers in one year and six billion dollar grocers in another year and which ones make the list and which ones don't, I think it could get a little more interesting. So I'm going to stick with this for a while. If we have to retire the Hall of Fame, then we'll retire the Hall of Fame. But for now, No Time to Die makes it into that 365 day Hall of Fame. So congratulations, 007. You are immortalized in this Hall of Fame, if not elsewhere. So this is the part of the show before we get to the streaming charts where we take a look back at a week in box office history, but I also want to take a look back at the career of a legendary performer who sadly passed away this past week, and that is Angela Lansbury. Angela Lansbury is such a unique talent because I think she's known for different things to about four different generations. There is a generation who grew up with Angela Lansbury as the lead in movies like Bedknobs and Broomsticks, who remember her from that Disney film. I remember growing up with Angela Lansbury in my home not corporeally, but on television every single week on Murder, She Wrote, which was a hugely successful CBS series. Of course, partially my generation and then a lot below me, no Angela Lansbury's the voice from of Mrs. Potts from Beauty and the Beast. And other people know her from appearances in so many different movies and films over the years, including Gaslight back in the 1940s, all the way to Mary Poppins Returns, and she has a role in the sequel to Knives Out, which has yet to be released. One of the most long-lived and acclaimed careers that anybody could lay claim to. This is just a snapshot of her career at the box office over the different decades. These are adjusted for inflation. Her number one box office hit was Beauty and the Beast back in 1991, $423 million. But then she had a voice role in The Grinch, nearly three decades later, which netted $319.9 million. At number three is Samson and Delilah, which made most of its money back in the year 1950. That $250 million is actually an estimate from what I could find. Box office records are a little spotty. It may well be even higher, but this was a massive hit that she was in for Cecil B. DeMille decades before most of us had seen her in anything else. At number four, she had a brief role in Mary Poppins Returns at $203.1 million. And then at number five, she had a role again for Cecil B. DeMille in The Greatest Story Ever Told. She was in some of the greatest movies, some of the greatest stage productions, some of the greatest animated films, ever made, as well as so many other projects. Angela Lansbury, really one of those careers unlikely to be duplicated by anybody. She was a three-time Oscar nominee, recipient of the honorary Oscar in 2013, a Grammy nominee for the album for Beauty and the Beast, nominated 18 times for an Emmy, but never a winner, a five-time Tony winner, and a recipient of the Tony Lifetime Achievement Award just this year. Angela Lansbury, a career that will not be forgotten anytime soon. I only really come alive, in my estimation, when I'm acting. I fill myself with all of these things that, uh, that create a character, and that, to me, is the fun of being an actor. <laughs> being somebody else is the, is the greatest thing in the world because you don't have to really let on who, you, who I am. Let's look now at a weekend in Box Office Pass. This is the weekend of October 13th through the 15th, 1989, the 41st weekend of the year. 
At number one is Look Who's Talking, which for people that don't know this movie, it's kind of hard to explain. Uh, Bruce Willis is the interior monologue voice of a baby who is being raised by Kirstie Alley and John Travolta. That's 80s comedy, almost all in one package there. A surprise hit also opened at number one at the box office with $12.1 million. At number two was Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, one of the reasons I picked this weekend. Here we are over 30 years later and we still have a Halloween movie in the top five. Halloween 5 opened to $5,093,428. At number three, Al Pacino and Ellen Barkin in Sea of Love. In its fifth week, dropped just 38% for a $3.6 million total. At number four, Tom Selleck is an innocent man. In its second week, 44% drop for a $3.6 million total. Actually about $6,000 behind Sea of Love. That's essentially a tie for number three and four. And then right behind both of those films was Michael Douglas in Black Rain in its fourth week with a 46% drop and a $3.4 million total. So very close cluster there at numbers three, four, and five. But we're also going to add another new feature here on the box office flashback. We're going to run these weekends through the inflation machine to show you what they would have looked like if you put them in today's dollars. So let's push the inflation button. And we see now that Look Who's Talking, when you translate to today's dollars, would have opened to $28.9 million, followed by $12.1 million for Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, $8.645 million for Sea of Love, $8.631 million for An Innocent Man, and $8,235,835 for Black Rain. This is just another way when we look at these weekends from Box Office Pass, it's fun to look back, but I also thought, well, maybe we should add a little bit of extra context. You, you know this show. Legs and context are the two words for a drinking game here on Charts with Dan. So let me know if you like hitting the inflation button on these box office flashbacks because, uh, you know, I think it's kind of fun. Let's look now at people we're not watching in theaters, but what they were watching at home through various different streaming services, etc. And we will start with the iTunes charts. These are the iTunes charts as of October 17th when I'm filming this show. At number one is Top Gun Maverick remaining there, available for purchase and rental. At number two is Where the Crawdads Sing. At number three is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which is available this week for a 99-cent rental. If you haven't seen this movie, go run to iTunes right now and see if you can still rent it for 99 cents. It's a steal at that price. It's such a good movie. Great Nick Cage performance. Great Pedro Pascal performance. Minions, The Rise of Gru is at number four. Bullet Train is at number five. Vengeance, which is another really good movie. Uh, the directorial debut of BJ Novak is now available for rent. So if you're looking for a movie to watch that you haven't seen yet, I would recommend that one. Clerks 3, as I mentioned from Kevin Smith, it is not quite on the top 10 for limited release films this year, but it is on the top 10 for iTunes purchases, now available to buy on iTunes and good enough for number seven. Emily the Criminal, another good movie that I recommend is at number eight. Jeepers Creepers Reborn is at number nine. And Jurassic World Dominion, which I do not recommend, is at number 10. Let's look now at the most watched programs on Netflix. This is for the week of October 3rd through the 9th. And this is using what I call my global Merle metrics, which produces the PFV number or potential finished views. Basically, I take the number of hours watched for each of these shows, divide it by the length of each program or movie, and that will give me the PFV number, the number of people that could potentially have finished viewing it on any given week. This is worldwide. These are the numbers that are provided by Netflix. At number one, Ryan Murphy's Dahmer Monster Series remains the most watched program on Netflix with a PFV of 23.3, meaning 23.3 million Netflix users could potentially have finished viewing it. 
for this one week period. At number two is the Mila Kunis movie, Luckiest Girl Alive, right behind Dahmer actually, with a PFV of 22.4. At number three, the Stephen King adaptation, Mr. Harrigan's Phone, with a PFV of 20. At number four is the Gerard Butler film, Last Seen Alive, with a PFV of 11.9. At number five is Conversations with the Killer, Jeffrey Dahmer. A lot of enhanced interest in Jeffrey Dahmer from the Ryan Murphy series. That's at number five. This is so close, with a PFV of 10.466. At number six is the Netflix series High Water Season 1 with a PFV of 10.465. At number seven is The Empress Season 1 with a PFV of 10.463. So a lot of people watching all three of those programs. At number eight is Minions and More Volume 1 with a very short hours watch time, but also a very short run time under an hour. That gets it there with a PFE of 8.9. At number nine is the Netflix original film Lou with a PFE of 7.1. And at number 10 is Blonde in its first full week on the streaming service, already slipping to number 10 with a PFV of 6.3, despite a very long running time. So Blonde does not seem to be attracting as much interest as it seems to have attracted controversy. Let's look now at the ratings that are provided by Nielsen. Now, there are always caveats that go with these. These are about a month delayed. So this is for the week of September 12th through the 18th. This is US only, and it does not count all devices. This doesn't count anything that comes in over the air. This is just through the various streaming services. So this is not a full picture of everybody that's watching these programs, but it does kind of help to point us in the direction of how things are doing. And let's look first at the 10 most watched streaming movies. At number one is Thor Love and Thunder with 10.3 million hours watched, staying at the number one spot. And staying at number two is Disney's remake of Pinocchio with 8.5 million hours watched. Netflix's End of the Road is at number three with 6.8 million hours watched, followed by Morbius on Netflix with 6.3 million hours watched. Despicable Me 2 on Netflix Netflix moves up to number five with 5.1 million hours watched. And then at number six is the Netflix original film, Do Revenge, with 4.5 million hours, followed by Father Stew with 4.3 million hours, Sing 2 with 4.1 million hours at number eight, and then Elvis also with 4.1 million hours, but just below Sing 2 at number nine. So a very close cluster there at number six, seven, eight, and nine. And then at number 10, the perennial favorite on this chart, Encanto on Disney+. Plus. We often see it rotating on and off the chart. It comes back at number 10 with 3.8 million hours watched. Looking at the most watched streaming shows, according to Nielsen, at number one, and this is by hours watched, is Cobra Kai with 31.9 million hours watched. Keeping in mind, this was the debut of its newest season when we're in that release cycle. At number two is Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power in its third week on this chart with a total of 16.4 million hours watched. And closely behind it is House of the Dragon on HBO Max with a total of 16 million hours watched. In the Dark on Netflix is at number four, making its debut with 13.7 million hours watched. The Crown is at number five, and you might wonder, well, why is The Crown all of a sudden on this list? Because there hasn't been a new season released. Well, that's because, as I said, this chart is about a month delayed, and so this very closely coincided with the death of Queen Elizabeth II and a huge resurgence in interest on Netflix for The Crown. So The Crown, good enough to come back there at number five. Coco Melon's at number six, followed by Game of Thrones on HBO Max at number seven, so it's renewed 
renewed popularity, waning just a little bit as people get more into House of the Dragon. Sins of Our Mother on Netflix is at number eight, followed by NCIS on Netflix and Grey's Anatomy also on Netflix. But there's another chart that I introduced last week, which is watch time per episode, because just looking at the total hours watched for all of these series doesn't necessarily tell you the entire picture, largely because Nielsen doesn't break down shows by season. So when I say Cobra Kai has X amount of hours watched, most of those numbers, yes, are probably for the newer episodes, but there's probably a healthy amount that's also people going back to the earlier episodes to rewatch or to watch for the first time. So I decided to do something which basically takes the number of total hours watched and then divides it by the number of available episodes, which gives us the watch time per available episode. And again, this isn't a perfect metric, but it's just another way to look at these numbers. And when we look at it this way, Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power has a total of 4.12 million hours watched per available episode. So you can see that annotation there, four episodes available. It is a weekly show, so we do not yet have the full run of episodes. I've also annotated which shows are weekly and ongoing and which shows have a full run. So 4.12 million hours watched per episode for The Rings of Power. At number two is Sins of Our Mother on Netflix, which is only a three episode series, but gives us a 3.67 million hours watched per episode. So a lot of people watching that show. And then right behind is House of the Dragon with five available episodes also on a weekly schedule and an hours watched per episode of 3.2 million. Now, something interesting is the hours watched per episode gap between Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power and House of the Dragon last week was much bigger. Lord of the Rings had closer to a 2 million hours watched per episode gap on House of the Dragon. Now it's closer to 1 million, which means that perhaps people are falling off Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power a little bit and staying with House of the Dragon. So that gap is going to be something to watch. She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, actually also makes the top five. It has five episodes available as of this chart with a 1.34 million hours watched per episode. Devil in Ohio is at number five with 1.15 million hours watched per episode, followed by The Imperfects with 888,000 hours watched, Coco Melon with 726,000 hours watched, Fate the Wink Saga on Netflix with 671,000 hours watched, and then you see Cobra Kai, even though it has 50 available episodes, still 639,000 hours watched per episode, and The Crown at number 10, despite having 34 available episodes, also still good enough for the top 10 with 331,000 hours watched per episode. And that pretty much does it for this edition of Charts. Coming up this weekend, as happens at this time every year, more and more movies are coming out on streaming and in theaters because we're getting into that awards season rush, that holiday season rush. There are two major wide releases opening, Black Adam and Ticket to Paradise. I'll be heading out to see Black Adam today, actually, as this show is airing. And you should have a review from me on Wednesday. So look forward to that. Ticket to Paradise, I also want to see just because it looks like kind of a fun rom-com. Opening and limited release, and this is another movie that I want to try to get a review out for because it is one of my favorite films of the year so far. The Banshees of Inna Sharon, starring Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. Written and directed by Martin McDonough, so it is a reunion of the principals from In Bruges. I adored this movie, and I'll be talking a lot more about it. Also opening in limited releases, After Sun, which is making some buzz uh, in the film festival circuit. In limited release in preparation for a release on Amazon on November 4th is the new Harry Styles movie, My Policeman. I guess they decided to just release all of Harry Styles' movies right around the same time. Wendell and Wilde will be opening in limited release this weekend, ahead of its streaming debut on Netflix 
on the 28th of October. This is the latest film from director Henry Selleck, who brought you The Nightmare Before Christmas. Tim Burton did not direct that movie. And debuting on Apple TV this upcoming weekend, starring Ewan McGregor and Ethan Hawke, is Raymond and Ray. So if you want to see just some awesome actors... There you go. Thanks to my sponsors, Athletic Greens, the makers of AG1, and of course to my partners, Carbon Health, who are presenting the show as always. But most of all, thank you for watching. Stay tuned right here on the channel. There is so much yet to come this week. Reviews, I've got another ranking episode for a great horror franchise coming out, or maybe a not so great franchise, but some pretty fun movies, and who knows what else. I, I never even really know what I'm going to do on this channel from day to day. Until next time, stay safe, and I'll see you then. Bye.